Hi, welcome to the Berry Nation podcast, where we support the bariatric community with humor, humility, and honesty. I'm April. I'm Jason. I'm Natalie. And we have the pleasure of welcoming back one of our most favorite humans on the planet, Miss Melanie Lindell. Hi, friend. Hi. Hi. We are so excited to talk to you today. Well, really, we've been talking for 30 minutes before we uh, hit record on this episode, but really January, February, March, well, I guess all of our lives. The thing that we struggle with is not necessarily reaching our goals. It's making decisions that are aligned to our goals, right? So the the topic, the title of today's podcast is really like, why do we make bad decisions? Why does that happen? And then what can we do to make better decisions or more aligned decisions? That's kind of like what we all want to know how to do, right? That's the magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. And in the the quick research that I did to prepare for this conversation, right, I discovered today that humans make about 35,000 decisions every single day. And about 277 of them are food related. But that's a shit ton of decisions. I'm just going to say it. That is like an astronomical amount. And, and in all of the things that I was reading and, and listening and watching to, those are really kind of like conscious decisions. Every little thing that we do, like what I'm choosing to do with our hands, what are two, like how we're choosing to react, right? Do I take a sip of water? Do I not like big decisions, little decisions, 35,000 a day. No wonder we get, right. No wonder we get tired of making decisions. So yeah, when we come home from work and somebody's like, what do you want for dinner? I don't care because I can't make a decision anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm over. I'm over. Where's the factor meal? <laughs> Where's the factor meal? Right. Or what, what is in, what is in my, my fridge or what am I going to do to move my body? Right. Any of these decisions after a very long day, uh, it is really going to, to impact, right. Our ability to make a decision. And I think the more faceted our lives are, the more decisions that are going to be added to that day, right? So if you are a working professional, if you are a parent, if you are a grandparent, right? Like all of these different facets of our life can really compound the number of decisions that we make every day. And I have a feeling that's going to go into when we shift the conversation to like, how can we make a better decision or why, right? Why why are some days easier than others? is because every day we are asked to either do more or less, right? So that's going to add to that decision fatigue. Uh, There's a lot. There's a lot that's going to go into this conversation. Yeah, for sure. So before we dive in, Melanie, will you uh, introduce yourself to people that maybe don't know you or have never followed you before? Sure. I'm Melanie Lindell. I live in Bainbridge Island, Washington, and I'm a trauma therapist, and I'm also a bariatric patient. I am three and a half years post-op ruin Y and on Saturday, I will also be two years from having my feeding tube removed. Um, my surgery recovery was very complicated and I spent 15 months on a feeding tube. So I have several milestones that I like to, to, you know, our surgery versus is one, but there's other things along my path in particular with uh, complications that I like to pause and celebrate. So this Saturday I will have hit two years of actually being able to eat on my own again, which is a big deal. So humongous deal. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that I day mean, was promised to me. Like they surgically placed it in my stomach with the thought that this may never come out and we never put a timeline on when it could come out. And so when we all agreed that we were going to go for it, 
um, it was risky and it was amazing. And, um, and it's been really, uh, I would say rather holy and scary at times to not have a backup plan because it was always my backup. Are you having bariatric or revision surgery related to other weight loss procedures and feeling nervous about the post-surgical pain management? Check out yourxfactor.com to learn more about steps to take to prepare yourself both physically and mentally for your surgery. Right? It, it gives me chills to think about because every, every time you say it, it really just hits me differently, right? Like that day was not promised, right? What was promised was that you, you will be on a, you will have a feeding tube for the rest of your life. That was the promise. And just to like, try to wrap my brain around what that is like, I just couldn't imagine. I could not imagine being or you know, having to take my nutrition in that way. Well, well and you didn't either. To, like, you know, like, I think about people that have horrific accidents or, you know, diseases or things that take away a primal skill that you had. Like I've been able to feed myself since, you know, whatever point, you know, your parents start letting you, you know, kind of eat on your own, you know, versus formula and things like that. But so to lose something that I always had to lose kind of that, a a primal way of taking care of yourself. And with the notion that it may never come back was very humbling. It's like, you know, people that are, that are blind from birth have a very different experience than if you lose your sight later, because you have a memory of what you once could do. And then now you can't. And, and I think that was part of the war that I spent a lot of time in is this is not natural, you know, for me to have to use a, you know, IV pole in my house and then a backpack when I'm out on the road with like, you know, fluids and, um, enteral feeding at all times. And so it's, it's, it's really, yeah. Like there's, my body has all kinds of memories, like both good. And also just sort of like, you know, kind of stressors of like, Oh, I remember all of that. And it was, and it was one of those seasons of going, how do you lean into something And this? I mean, in some ways can be somehow we engage decisions. Like how, how can you lean in to something that you don't want? And yet you now need to, and, and how do you use that to propel you towards health or towards the things and sort of accept kind of like a radical acceptance of like, this is where we're at. And I can either fight that reality and literally wither and die because if I didn't, you know, sort of accept, I need this help. Then, then I, then I literally could not have maintained nutrition enough to stay alive. And I think sometimes our decisions can be that extreme, but I think sometimes we also need to look at the daily decisions we make that have a bigger implication if we don't make them on a daily basis. I'm just really kind of starting to wrap my head around just how big or monumental this conversation is actually going to be. It's such a simple question, right? Why do, why do I make bad decisions? And then the other simple question is how can I make better decisions? Mm -hmm. Um, That's going to, that, that, the answer to both of those questions is going to change moment to moment scenario, day, day to day scenario. I mean, like, oh my God. And also, are there good and bad decisions? Are there just decisions? Like that's been sitting in my brain. Like there's so much with this simple topic that, yeah, it's going to get get real philosophical with you. You're like, what is the meaning of life? What is life? Are we really living? (laughs) I was like, oh, this is one of those questions about like, what is the point of my life? (laughs) And I was like, whoa, 
that went there really quickly. Like, yes, very profound. Very profound. But it kind of is like this is this is one of those big, huge questions. And truly, the the most important, the most impactful questions uh, in our life are the simplest ones. And if we can really drill down and get clear on our answers to these big questions that we're going to wrestle with often, you know, hopefully the, the, the more tranquility we can find in our, in our lives, right? Because that is the goal, right? We want, we want to be steady. We want tranquility, right? We, we just want to kind of always feel like we are on this even, even pathway, and I think getting very clear with our own definition of a bad decision or a good decision, um, and maybe even deeper, learning to trust ourselves. When we talked about this before we hit record, right? Like, when can I trust that this is a good decision? When can I trust that this is a bad decision for me in this moment, in this particular instance, is key. And that's a crap ton of work. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of this. But I think the more practice we have in these conversations with ourselves, that maybe easier, the more efficient they will become so that we are spending less time making that decision. We can quickly go to what is the decision I'm going to make to making it that that distance can get shortened so that we can just move more fluidly through the 35,000 decisions we're going to make every single day. Well, and there's also a lot of, you know, tying your worth to those decisions, good or bad. Like, just because you miss a mark, just because you may not make what you feel is the best decision, doesn't make you a horrible person, doesn't make you a bad bariatric patient, doesn't mean you've ruined your day. It just means that decision may not have been the best aligned to what you're looking for as an end result. And it, you know, a lot of times, you know, most of our community as a whole, (laughs) we're very hard on ourselves, we're very mean to ourselves. And, you know, like I always like to say, the loudest voice you'll hear all day is the one inside your head, make sure it says kind things to you. So tying all of your worth into one decision that you make out of the 35,000 you make in a day, it's a little much, it can be a little heavy at times. Hi friends, it's April. We are so excited to officially announce that ProCare Health is the official vitamin of Berry Nation. We were introduced to ProCare Health at the first Bariatric Society retreat in San Diego, and we have all fallen in love with our product and with the people behind the company. Jason, Natalie, and I have all made the switch to ProCare Health daily bariatric multivitamins, and we are seeing huge results. We invite you to check out ProCare Health by visiting them online at www.procarenow.com and use the code BERRYNATION for 10% off your order. And you guys, this even applies to vitamin subscription services. So if you want your vitamins delivered every month or every 90 days, that 10% off is going to apply to that subscription. See what I mean about patient forward, patient centered? ProCare is amazing and we are so excited to be partnered with them. Welcome to the Berry Nation family, ProCare Health. And I would even go one step further. My my goal for myself this year it, it, and I'm so thankful that you say it, Jason, because you do, you do live in my head rent free. And that is, that could be a very good thing. The goal is to be, to speak kinder to myself, but some days that is extremely difficult, but what I can do is just be neutral. I like, okay, I, I can't get to kind today, but what I can just do is be neutral, right. To just be like, you know what, that is a thought that I had, and I'm going to end well, it there. I would argue that that actually is kindness. You know, I think anytime you don't turn on yourself is a form of kindness. So I don't know, we want to put a little neutrality in the middle. It's like, 
if I don't turn on myself, that is kind all by itself. And that is when, you know, to be had and, and I'll, I'll share like what, when our pre-conversation, I was saying that, you know, when I, I spoke at Catalyst on Saturday and I couldn't get my screen to share. And so I couldn't share all these slides that I finally, I normally just free talk, you know, and, um, and this time I made slides, made a video, did all these things. And when I couldn't do it, I could feel rattled and I did, and I could feel myself sort of going into a place and having to sort of buoy just to get through the moment. But the real win for me was what happened afterwards and reaching out for some, you know, support from dear friends and, you know, not eating my feelings, taking a bath and going to bed. And, and I think sometimes going like that was the kindest thing I can do. Cause in the past I was like, Oh, you know, I'm a failure. I'm a this, like I'm you know, all these things. And, and so that wasn't a neutral position. And I think one of the first things I would say about like, what do we call a good decision, bad decision or decision-making and let's call it that is we have more agency than we want to believe. And, and so, and I think when you have agency, it means you have choice. And I had a choice in that moment and it, and I could have gone all kinds of directions and put meaning on myself and, and different things, or, you know, like blamed it on a computer or blamed it on whatever you want to blame it on. And, and I think sometimes like we, you know, we, we feel like we're falling prey to this decision or because I got this phone call, therefore I couldn't make, you know, a choice with my eating that actually is for my health or a choice with my movement, you know, that's for my health we still have a choice in a moment that's distressing. We still have, a, you know, and so I think it's that starting with living in that space of truth. And if we can start with truth, we will find that we have more ability to choose kind things, to choose things that are aligned with the goals that we have. Then if we want to live in that category, either of the realms of wishful thinking or just lying to ourselves that, that we didn't have a choice, but go to McDonald's tonight, or we didn't have a choice, but to fill in the blank. Cause it the, the, the bad decision, if you want to keep using that label is, is so specific for each person and is very specific to the context that you're in. I literally wrote down three things in like that five minutes that you were talking. I think my world has been like forever altered. Like what the hell, Melanie? Being neutral is being kind. Well, because I don't think there's neutrality. You're either kind or you're not. And that's why I think like not to bring in like the whole body positivity thing, because I know that that's like a whole other topic, but it is being kind when you're being body neutral, when you're having a, a neutral day about yourself, you're not picking yourself apart. You're accepting your body, which is still kind and loving. Okay. Yes. Yes. Right? So yeah. it's like when I'm making decisions, they're just decisions, they're choices. Yes. And that ends there. Yes. That's why I brought that up at the top was like, but are there good and bad decisions? Because mm -hmm. don't we always say you're either in compliance or you're not? Yes. Yes. And, and the, the layer to that is right. Some days making a decision in compliance is a good decision. Whereas some days making a decision in compliance maybe could be a bad decision. I don't know the answer to that yet, but I could imagine there is a scenario where, right? Like, yes, I'm making a decision that that's in compliance, but it costs me some mental health or it costs me some joy or it costs me something, right? So then is that good decision really a good decision? 
Well, and that's what Melanie talked about before we jumped on here a little bit was her decision to not go to the gym or not do some of the things she would normally do based on the fact of her, not only her mental health, but some of her physical you know, contributing yeah. factors that led her to make the decision not to go. Yes. Okay. And I think for the people that know enough of my story, like, yeah, I, you know, my surgeon, you know, went after my Apple watch in November and, you know, we, we, we basically agreed to let me hit my two-year mark of closing all my rings. And so I, you know, I purposely the next day chose not to close my rings. And so I was doing that out of like my commitment to, to my, to like be a person of my word with him that I, you know, I would not close my rings, you know, on a given yeah. day. And, you know, part of our conversation, you know, earlier is the decision I made today, you know, was a decision I made for me based on how I felt when I got up this morning. And, um, and I also had a very big workout yesterday with my trainer. And, and so, um, so like, but that because of how much fitness I do in a given week, me to choose a real rest day, because those, I find rest days a lot harder then I find workout days. That's very normal and natural. I like it. It's good for me. And I think the, this is where that truth telling comes in. My war is going to be to slow down for another person. They might indulge, Oh, I need to work on my rest days. But if you actually add up how many rest days they have in a week versus how many days they're pushing their body just for a fitness, you know, comparison, that would, that would be a space where they might need to push themselves out the door you know, um, and actually go to the gym that, you know, so I think that's the challenge. If you don't, if you don't stay in, you know, in reality, you don't, you know, speak truth, but you also don't sort of own the context that the decision I made this morning. Now, if all of a sudden I'm making the same decision for the next four days, then I'm going to have to look at what's going on, you know, and again, really assess in a space of truth, um, like, why aren't you going? Because like, this has been a habit that is well-groomed path for me at this point, something I love. Now I got to do some different work if all of a sudden that pattern changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, there's a difference between like making a, a choice in the moment and then like letting that become a habit. Yeah, yeah. Right, because it really does come down to, it really does come down to truth. And it's almost like before you can make a decision, you almost need to decide like, is this true or is this not true? So it's almost like there are like multiple decision points that are leading up to like, oh, here's, here's the big decision. But really there are so, well, so many little decisions that go into kind of the big final, like, nope, this is, I'm going to go this way. Yeah. Right. So that is how we get to 35,000 decisions a day, because you've got a hundred decisions that are going into just the, the big one. And it's okay. amazing. Like, you know, I know I was joking with you guys earlier that if, if people could have like a, a view into what my brain was doing today with this decision to, to just, you know, rest and even take a nap, you know, this afternoon on my own couch that my clients, and I, like, it was just like, you know, I joked and said, you'd need some Zofran for the nausea and, and the seatbelt because the, the amount of motions that were going on back and forth of going, no, I know I chose well, but we can get into some pretty epic story wars between our feelings and our, in our well, feeling side of our brain, our thinking side of our brain. There's obviously real names for it, but let's just bring it down to, you know, very tangible language, what we feel, what we think we get into these story wars 
and, and so often they're competing, you know, for like, you know, and oftentimes our, our feelings can get so big that they basically can just kind of override, you know, even logic, you know, and so you give, you give it too much power, you give much too much room. And I think that bringing back that calibrating, bringing it back to, to that space of truth is, you know, um, uh, I, most people don't know my prior career. This is not my first career. It's my second career. I was in corporate HR and, and so dealt with a lot of like economics, you know, kind of things. And so I think, I don't know if you guys ever took, you know, econ courses in college or, or high school, but they always talk about, oh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I'm like, and I wanted to challenge that. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, if I, if someone gave me a free lunch, then, then it's free. Right. But what they're saying is if you choose, you know, okay, but what'd you have for lunch today? Like truly, what'd you have for lunch today? Oh, um, I got home and I made myself a little white rice bowl with tempeh, a little peanut butter sauce and some fresh cucumbers. That was my lunch today. Okay. So, but the whole point of what they're saying is like, that's what you chose, but think of the many things you didn't choose. So like, so there's not, so it's the sense of, it's not free. It's like, I chose this tempeh thing and I didn't choose a, you know, a Greek salad or I didn't choose a, a whatever. And I think sometimes we have to start looking at that cost benefit analysis. And I think sometimes we're too short sighted and thinking, I want that crumble cookie, you know, right now for this reason, but we don't actually look at what is, what is the ultimate sort of cost benefit analysis on that over a period of time. Now, please don't hear me say I'm demonizing crumble cookies or this or that or the other, but it's really like we give like almost a greater meaning to the benefit we're going to get now. And we shrink the cost of these decisions that we, that, you know, ultimately accumulate over time. You know, and if you think about in the realms of money, like, you know, like how many people are actually like on par with where they should be with their retirement? you know, where the swiping of the credit card, like, you know, live now, pay later, these kind of mentalities. But that's what we can do on our bear active journey as well, is that we have these live now, pay laters, but we, but we shrink the impact of developing this habit that ultimately leads us not to where we want to go in terms of compliance with our goals and whatever they are, you know, based on like this, like, I've got to, I got to, I need this now. I, as you were talking, I want to go back to like the feelings versus what was it? Feelings versus thinking. like thinking. thinking. Yeah. I wrote Your it down too. Yeah. Um, as soon as you said that, I was taken back to pre-op times, like before I was even thinking about surgery. And my feeling entity, I'm gonna call it just so we have like some kind of a visual was so big like it was it had grown I feel like every time you choose one they kind of grow that's kind of how my brain like they grow stronger you know and so I feel like my feeling was like this huge mass taking over my thinking entity and so in the moment I didn't even have that like moment of like finding my truth as kind of we were talking about earlier like I don't even I didn't even have this feeling thing was so humongous and like just took everything over that it just that's what I went with because that was what my the majority of my brain capacity was and like 
going through surgery was that reset of like, now they're both small again. They're both the same size. And now we get to like build them up and learn which, which fighter we want to choose. It's a difference in going to the gym every day and only working your arms out versus and having little skinny legs or doing full body workout and having both sides be, you know, having top and bottom be equal. And I was thinking about like, you've seen that movie Inside Out. It's like there's those little characters and it's like, which one do I want to make stronger? But it's like, I was at that point where I couldn't make that decision because one was just so exponentially stronger. I was literally thinking, I mean, I I never in the 137 episodes have we recorded, have I wanted to just blow up the chat so bad because all of the, I, I, I'm literally, I'm just going like this, like, oh my God, because I want to chat, right? We have to choose what we want most over what we want right now. Is exactly right. But what, what you said is so true. And Natalie, dude, all I'm in, all I'm envisioning is I, I a thousand percent. Yes. I was feeding my feeling side of my life constantly and never feeding that like thought side of my life. I never stopped and asked myself, is this true? Right. Like, is this true? Is, Is this true for me in the moment? Like what is, what is really truthful right now? Mm-hmm. Never. Real is what I'm feeling. Not to say that, not to discount feelings. I know all feelings are very valid, but like, is the narrative that I'm telling myself in this moment real? Like, mm-hmm. is this real life or is this my feelings bleeding into my thinking like realm? But I didn't have capacity. Like I, I literally, like physically, could not get to that point yeah. without bariatric oh. surgery. Oh yeah, no. Pre op, I was the Steven Spielberg of augmenting my own reality. I could make my shit look any way I wanted to because I felt how I felt, and I felt hungry, and I felt the only thing that was going to fix that was whatever amount of food I had to go get a hold of right then and there. And it was never like maybe I should just eat a salad. That shit never entered my mind. So it was always about the what I could do the worst and the most damage because that was the easiest decision for me back then. Because like you said, that muscle was huge because that's all I ever all I ever did was go on feelings. I feel hungry. I feel like this is what I want to eat. I feel like I'm not going to be full if I don't eat this amount. I feel like, yeah, I, I, uh, my, my feeling tank was full. Well, and I was saying, go ahead. I was just going to say feeling that feeling, Jason, that you're describing <clears throat> instantly equated to panic, right? Mm-hmm. It was, it was panic. And so all I could do was, oh my God, I'm panicking. I need to get out of this panic. And the quickest way out of it is to just eat. Okay. Hear me out. I went into surgery thinking it would be the only treatment I would need to overcome my chronic disease of obesity. About six months into my journey, I realized I was wrong. I was missing community, I was missing education from the experts, and I was missing a safe place to just go and connect with other patients who understood what I was going through. That's why Jason, Natalie, and I created the Barry Nation membership community. It is a safe and inclusive place for patients to gather with one another, to learn from the experts, 
and each other. Check out the Berry Nation community today by visiting https backslash berrynation.mn.co to see what we have created. In Berry Nation, you belong, and you don't have to do this journey alone. One of the things we have to realize is that, you know, when our the feelings part, you know, parts of us get so big, it's usually a sign that there's been deprivation in there. And then we overcompensate, you know, so the places where needs didn't get met in relationship, they got met by food, you know, so again, you make these associations. And so I think we have to, that's where some of that story work with the head work, those things that go on. And that's why our journey is like, it's forever and it's layered. Like you can't tackle everything, you know? And so I think being able to say, you know, like, okay, so my feeling, you know, for you, Natalie was so huge. Well, even some of the, just the snippets I know of your life, there were places of just like deprivation of care, you know, and, and places where food became a friend, food became the most reliable source and all that. So what happens is I begin to feel distress again. And we have, you know, and I've said this before, like we have an auto reply, you know, to our distress. And it's usually, it's whatever maladaptive coping skill we learn and whether that be food, whether that be, you know, be some other thing that we have to work on those stories, on those situations, those past traumas, those things so that you unassociate comfort can only come this way or my feelings have more power than, than what they, they should have, you know, all of that stuff. But if you don't actually do the the head work and the story work and all the things that are like underneath all these things, it will be a constant battle, not only in your decision-making, but the meaning you place on the decisions that you make, which usually is an attack on your identity as well. You know, see, you know, that's that self-fulfilling prophecy and all the imposter stuff we talked about last week, you know, like there's going to be competing stories you know, going on at all times. And if you just give way to your feelings or to, you know, calling it indecision, you're going to repeat what you know, because what we know is most familiar. We will go back to those same things again and again and again, and feel like we're in a loop. If you don't sort of go back to the root system, you know, and actually go, what is, why am I making these associations? That's where working with therapists, working with life coaches, those kinds of things, you know, working with dietitians to engage some of like, you know, trigger foods, like all that stuff has so, so much meaning to being able to actually heal. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're, you've healed from surgery itself, but there are several other, let's call them like invisible surgeries that need to take place and or are taking place and they require different kind of care to heal than than the than the the skills and the in the particular things of the bariatric surgeon you there's so many pieces to this and you cannot do them all at once no you you can't and that's what I know those who are close to me if you follow me or Barry Nation like I've worked very closely with my therapist I've worked with Rodolfo one of our experts like to unpack all of this and I still deal with this like I still have these moments of feelings versus thinking so it really I know people think like oh it's gonna go away or it's it's gonna be the magic pill I know we we wanted to bring that up too but it's not I mean you have to you have to figure it out and you have to heal yeah, because I mean, it's a, 
you're bringing up an interesting point in the fact that it will never go away, but that's why you do the works to gain the skills to be able to deal with it when it does come. Because it will never, it, it, when it, will, it, it may feel like it does at some point, but it will sneak up over you and, and hit you over the back of the head. When you're not looking, it never just you know presents itself and goes, hey, in a couple of days, I'm going to come back. You better be ready because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick you in the knee and you're going to be like, oh, well, shit, cool. I can prepare. I have all this time. Like, eh, that's not even Oh, yeah, I'm having a great day. Everything's cool. Next thing you know, oh, God, oh shit. Oh, and it's just there. And it's full on half the time. It doesn't come on in waves. It doesn't like, oh, it's going to creep up on you. To get a little time to get your shit together. No, it just it comes on as a full-blown tidal wave and knocks you down. And then you're trying to figure out exactly how to how to gather yourself. And the thing about the, the tools that you gather when you're doing this to get ready for these things to happen is, is your toolbox gets knocked open and shit spreads out everywhere. It takes a minute for you to collect yourself, collect your tools back together, figure out a plan to deal with it, and move forward. It doesn't mean that you're a horrible person or that you suck at coping skills because you can't just automatically flip the switch when things come on and start getting bad. And you go, oh, well, I'm not dealing with this today. I just flipped that out. I'm done. I got all the tools I need. Not, yeah. not, not when your toolbox knocks over. And, and half the time when the toolbox knocks over it's dark and you don't have a light and you can't find the tools it takes a minute for you to feel around to find what you need to make the you know to make the small alterations you need to be able to get through yeah yeah i, I literally just i think figured out <laughs> i mean you guys know me i don't have feelings that 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 is my that is my standard operating procedure i don't have feelings i don't need feelings right feelings are never going away we can't turn off our feelings as hard as we try. We can't, we, we can't turn them off. We can ignore them. We can push them to the side. We can do, we can try, try, try. They will always find a way to be known. Always. Well, again, sort of like we label good food, bad food. You know, we get all these labels that we're doing the same thing about, you know, you know, like the type A person, like they're the best kind, you know, like they, you know, like whatever, you know, we, we make labels about certain people. And the thing is somewhere in your story, feelings are bad because feelings were unsafe. And I, and I think again, it's that space of going, we were, we, we were given a brain, you know, in our creation, we were given a heart in our creation, you know, we were given a body, you know, and, 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 and that sense of like, it is meant to collaborate together. Like I need my heart to help me inform some things. I need my mind to help maybe regulate some of my big feelings and bring truth around it. And I need my body to give me signals at time, whether it be wholeness, wholeness, fullness, hunger, you know, or, you know, some other thing, you know, desire that's going on. And I think, you know, at some point, if there's been, you know, you know, some kind of trauma or something in your life where you had to split, and some people split and they're all emotion, you know, and the people that are all head just look at that sobbing mess over there, get it together, you know, kind of thing, you know, it's literally it's on me. the other side. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I was like, me, me and Nat are all the feelings and April's over here with the head, like get it together, you slobbering ass mess. Like that's how, okay. yeah, but I mean, yeah. it is legit. The, the thing is, is, we're taught from an early age that being vulnerable is bad. That you, you know, that, that's a, that's you're you're opening yourself up to attack and to, you know, negative things to happen to you if you're a vulnerable person. Right. And vulnerability is where the uncomfortable, you know, is where the uncomfortability is, and the growth comes from is being vulnerable and being allowed. Because a lot of times we're closed off and not even vulnerable with ourselves to know. Like we know 
the shit that's in that box that's in the back of the closet. We're just not going to open it because we don't want to. We're, we're not dealing with that right now. We gotta we gotta move forward because who has the time to unpack all of that and go through that? We don't want to do that. We just want to leave it back there collecting dust because that's why we put it back there in the first place because we didn't want to deal with it. So knowing that you know not only is it okay to be vulnerable sometimes, but that's where the work is done, is what we really you know what I knew I had to work on myself because I can pinpoint when my you know when food became safety for me when food became control for me i was nine years old and my dad left and i couldn't fix that there was nothing i could do i cried him out the door begging him to stay and there's nothing i could do to fix that but the one thing i could control and had control over was food right and i could decide powers, yeah yeah i could decide when i ate what i ate i could decide all of those things because we never ever had like we were we were very comfortable as you know when I was a child so that was that was a blessing for me but that also meant that I had everything in abundance so whatever it was I wanted I could go do it I could get it I could eat it I could drink it I could whatever it was I didn't have to worry about that that was that was my control in a world of in my world that was spiraling at nine years old I don't want to talk about it but I was cool to sit in my room with their all all the things I wanted to eat and drink and just have a blast well, and that's the thing is whenever we have moments of powerlessness, you can't, you don't, no one remains powerless. Like you're going to find a way to, to, you know, reclaim power. It's, it's never the power that you lost, but you gain it in another way. So now all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take it all out on, you know, myself, you know, cause I, I can't actually take it on my dad cause he's left. And so there's a way I'm both comforting, but I'm also punishing me because as a nine-year-old, I couldn't actually, you know, my crying wasn't enough. My begging wasn't enough, whatever wasn't enough, like that gets all turned on its head. And, and, and when we're that small, you know, our, our thinking is so like black and white, I'm bad, he's bad, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I think to be able to look at those places where, wherever we regain power, you know, it, it's you, I mean, it's our attempt to find, um, you know, safety again, you know? And so then in that, in this case, like, again, food becomes a place of safety, but yet in reality, it isn't the safety that you needed. You needed safety in relationship. And then to piggyback on what we talked about last time, you know, Jason, where you had that moment in Portland and these two women came around you, like, I would contend on some level, the feelings of that nine-year-old or something, he was present, you know, initially and, and being able to receive the care. So he's making meaning of what's going, what's going on inside of you. And then all of a sudden there's someone else to bring that comfort in relationship and then listen to how you describe, like, it was what propelled me to be able to actually get out there on that stage. And because you've got the need met in the way it was meant to be met, which was in relationship versus the surrogates, you know, that provide a short hit, but they actually don't bring healing. Yeah. Well, and it was also, it was funny you mentioned that because I was also punishing myself because if I presented myself in the way I did and he was still able to walk out the door without even looking back, then I wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. There wasn't anything I could have done to make him stay. So I punished myself for that, for not being good enough to be able to right that situation. Because in that in that situation, in my mind, you know, I let my mom down because I couldn't make him stay for my mom. My brother was the same way. Like my brother, yeah, I, I couldn't make him stay for my brother. The whole family wrecked. Like everything we know and love and, and are comfortable with is now gone. Yeah. And so because I was the only, his, my mom and I were the only ones home when he left. 
And so I remember that being, I took all that on my shoulders as like, well, you, you failed. Like you didn't get it done. Like you had one job, you didn't get it done. And it's not like he left and still like came around for visitation and shit. Like he was gone. We didn't see him for probably the first, uh, I would say almost a year after he left. Like there was a lot of times he set up to come get us and just never showed up. So, you know, sitting out on the curb with your shit pack ready to go and he just never comes. So a lot of that comes from like, there was a lot of those times where it just was not only was it the initial, Hey, I'm gone, but it was just kind of the, the continue to beat it into us. Like, Oh, well, no, nah, I'm, I'm gone, gone. Like, I don't need to come get you. I don't need to come see you. I'm cool doing what I'm doing. If I get around to it later, I will. And so there was just a, it was a continuation of, of out of control, what I thought I was gaining control from. So there was a lot of that, that came, in waves for me like i said like it was just it, you know it was relentless for a while there and then eventually leo like you said i found different ways to kind of cope with it and, and found the kind of the, the comfort i was looking for i just i <laughs> april's broken again so well, oh those bad feelings are coming up now so no it's not it's not it's not bad feelings honestly it's it's almost like relief i guess or or maybe just like oh again now like a sigh like oh 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 my god like okay i guess just to kind of have another piece of the puzzle click into place mm -hmm. is relief mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways it it, it this is why making decisions that are aligned to our goals in the moment is so difficult, right? Because in our brains, we just want to say like, it, it, it's just make the right decision. But no, that decision is this moment has 40 years leading up to it. There are 40 years of moments that are leading up to, to, to me, to us, having a difficult time making a decision today. Because who's making that decision? Like, you know, like Melanie said, I, my nine-year-old me was in Portland, like have like, so who's making the decision? It could be nine-year-old me making the decision that I want to make. It could be 15-year-old, 20-year-old, depending on, you know, when whatever, you know, happened to you, happened to you. You just don't like, you don't know. who, And, and it's hard when you don't get to that trust level with yourself to know exactly who that person is that's making that decision. Yeah. And there's that whole, it's a whole movement right now that I've seen. I've read a lot of books and studies and all this stuff about just healing your inner child, right? Because as Mel, that's the whole thing that Melanie was saying is like that it's the younger you when that trauma started, that's where that paralysis is coming from. And so that's what I would like to start doing is like, oh, if I would like to wear this piece of clothing, I'm just going to wear it because it makes me happy. And like, okay, if I, if I don't like the way it looks in pictures next time, like, okay, like I won't wear it again, but like I wore it in the moment and that made me happy. Like, or I'm not going to make this decision because my younger self didn't want to make that decision and wouldn't want to make that decision today. Like, I think when you put it in that perspective of like, 
I guess taking the time first to like figure out where that stems. I mean, then that's like a huge thing. But after that, you can kind of put it in perspective of like, is this stemming from something? Is this and it's bigger and smaller. And I'll say it that way, because on one hand, it is a big thing to have the awareness and recognition. But I think we can start with just saying, how old do I feel right now? So that's why I brought up bad feelings to you, April. It's like, if you, if feelings are, if you having feelings in a moment are threatening, you're most likely not your age you are right now. So you have to check in with yourself because like, that's the sense of, if I don't feel my own age, you know, then I don't have the agency I need to make a decision with the resources that I have now, you know? So if you're making a decision at nine, your resources, there's more powerlessness in your life, Jason, then, you know, then you have right now, there's less healing, you know, it was very binary thinking black and white going on. You have more cognitive dissonance to be able to discern things at this point. And so wherever those cutoff pieces are, like, I can't think, well, how old, how old do you feel right now? If I can't feel, or am I feeling still dangerous? How old do you feel right now? And then part of that can also be, if it's in the context of, you know, being with someone else, then, then you're like, whose face do I see right now? You know, cause like, oh, you know, this actually, this is really makes me feel more like I'm talking to my dad or, you know, whoever that, those kind of things, that's the stuff that can help. And that's why I say it's easy and hard. You do a little bit of that labor and that little check-in with yourself. It's going to help propel you towards having the possibility to choosing something different in this moment, you know, and, and that's, and that to me is kind of that line we walk of like, is the decision I'm making, you know, right now that that cost benefit analysis, like we have to look at, like, do I need quick relief? Or if, if I don't, if I don't have access to vulnerability, then I would always argue, then you're not living, you're just surviving. And so like, we cannot live without being vulnerable in relationship with another, we're just surviving, you know? Um, Like, so I think that that sense of like, all of these can go happen quick, you know, in our minds very quickly, and nobody even needs to know we're assessing all of these things, you know, live, you know, and, and, and then you're able to make the decision to make or have the opportunity I say, we don't always, it's never perfect, but we have the opportunity. If we do that initial labor, if you start to feel off, dysregulated or some, how old do I feel? You know, whose face do I see? Do I feel like I have choice? These, those three things, I mean, there's plenty of others, but those three things alone are, are a launching pad to being able to realize you have more agency in any given moment than you believe you do. It's the choice for me now. That's a, that's about the last thing I've got left that I haven't cleaned up yet is when I feel like I'm backed into a corner and there's a lack of options for me or that I'm forced into doing something. That's when I, that's when I have a real hard time with it is because there was a lot of times in my life where that happened. And I, yeah, that's where I still, to this day, I'm like, you know, I pulled a grown man. I'm 40. Well, how old I am? I do what I do so I can do what I want to do. You know, all that kind of shit. But it's, it, it, but that's where it all stems from. But it, you know, saying and, and that all, and and at least I can, I not only can label it, I can pinpoint it. I know where it's coming from. I know all of the things surrounding it. So I'm getting better as I'm doing it. I just had to cut myself some slack and realize that life's too short to hold myself so damn accountable for all these things that a weren't my choice, weren't my fault, wasn't my decision. I'm, you know, I, I spent the better part of my life holding on to stuff that I didn't even need to carry because it wasn't my shit to begin with. Right. 
So, you know, it, it eventually took time for me to realize I got to put it down. My back hurts. My legs are sore. I, I can't do this forever because, A, I don't want to carry it in the, you know, to begin with. And it wasn't even my stuff to pick up in the first place. Right. Which is one of the kindest things you can say to yourself, because, you know, when you're able to say, like, I had to find a way to survive my life, like my world was thrown into chaos. And, you know, what I found is what I found. And I think we can look at like with with gratitude, you found a way to get to today. You know, and the things that saved us as kids, you know, they end up taking life and eroding life from us as adults. And when we when we start to see that it's reversing what we most want, like that's actually hopeful when you can say, oh, like this isn't working anymore or I don't want to do it anymore or, you know, that kind of stuff like that is actually a really hopeful moment. If you if you allow yourself to stay in that space of truth that says like, you know, this was never mine to hold and I had to find a way to still survive. You know, I'm nine years old and my world's in chaos. I got to figure out how to do it. And, and that's surviving. And then you build your new tool bag as awareness grows. And as you know, like that say, but I want to learn how to live, learning how to live to say, I don't, there, I don't need to be backed into a corner. I can begin to assess that before like, Hey, uh, you know, the way you're speaking to me or, you know, this demand or whatever it is that's going on, you can begin to bring words sooner and you get to tell you like, I am safe. And so is my body. Like you get to bring that soothing in those moments that, that start to allow you to be able to make, again, going back to our topic, be able to make decisions that, you know, um, lead you towards whatever, whatever it is that you're wanting to make. And, and so I think that's that challenge of it's never going to go perfect. And you learned a strategy to survive and now you're learning a strategy to live, starting with bariatric as Nat said, like they, they, it recalibrated my feelings and my thinking in a way. And now I get to run with that. And I'm seeing new places I need to do that and new moments where I want to do that. And it's an ongoing journey of recalibrating, recalibrating, recalibrating. Yep. And, and I think that's where panic really sets in for, for, for bariatric patients is when they start realizing, oh, I'm feeding one, I'm feeding my feelings or I'm feeding my thinking side more than the other. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute, this feels familiar because we do get that break after surgery. So many of us get that break. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. Nope. No, no, no. I, I've done this before. Deja vu. I've been here before. Mm-hmm. And people panic. And I've really gotten in the habit of helping people reframe that panic Mm -hmm. because that's how, you know, you now have a choice, right? That's the commitment. Now, you know, oh, wait a minute. I have lived life differently for the past couple months and it feels different and oh, it's different and it looks different. It smelled right. Everything is different. So now all of a sudden you, you have this opportunity to really make a decision. Oh, I have lived life differently. It did feel different. Oh, what am I going to do? Because the old life is familiar and it's comforting, even though it's not aligned to our big overall goal, which on the surface is to live at a different weight. But really what's under there is no, you just wanted a different life because that old life was not working out on any level. And the quickest thing that you could identify was the cause that it wasn't working out was because of your weight. That's the quickest thing. Uh, that's the easiest. That's the biggest. That's the, the most visible. But after surgery, many of us very quickly realized, oh, it wasn't actually the weight. There was all kinds of other things under there that I did not like about myself. 
that unconsciously I knew I wanted to, to, to confront, but I just didn't have the strength, the mental capacity. I didn't have, I didn't, right. We say this all the time. I didn't have the capacity, right. Because feelings or thought, whatever it was, was, was too dominating. And surgery really does take everything back down to kind of right their original size. And if you are not engaged in this work, this very heavy conversation that we're having today, if you are not engaged with this work from day one, yeah, no wonder why the honeymoon ends and you're going, oh my God, what the hell? Like you, you know, you're living in a fog, you're living in, and not reality. And all of a sudden reality is going to hit you at some point. You're, you, Jason, you're muted. <laughs> so it's like you're sitting in a wheelbarrow and somebody's just tootling along pushing you and all of a sudden they just dump your ass out and that's oh, <laughs> when, yeah. when it all ends and you're just like oh god <laughs> you're like oh it's work now oh god it, it, like right? i said it never comes it never comes gingerly it all just comes at once and smacks it yeah and it's like that that panic you know we keep talking bringing up that sense of panic we've felt it before but we didn't know what it was it was just a weird discomfort that we went to food for. Like, it was like, oh, I don't feel fine and good and happy. Well, okay, food. Like, it was just like a diversion. Automatic. Automatic. And now we feel that panic and we're like, we think it's foreign. We're like, oh, I've never felt this before. Why do I feel this way? what is happening? And it's like, well, actually, no, like you felt this way your whole life. And like, it's but, familiarity. Yeah. But again, it goes back to that recalibration of like, you have the capacity to know that it's panic and not just a weird discomfort that like, I'm just going to go numb with food. Yeah. The crazy part is, is the, the feeling is the, the feeling is the same, but the reaction is way different. It yeah. just takes a while for you to connect the dots and realize that it's the same feeling. It's just your reaction to the feeling. It's not to go, oh, God, let me go grab a bag of chips or whatever it was that you used to mm -hmm. do or go to the nearest drive. You can you kind of wander around in it for a minute and realize that, oh, I'm just not reacting to it the same way. I got it. Okay. This is how I've been explaining it to myself. Like, I feel like I'm Groundhog's Day, like, especially now. And I'm, and you guys know, I'm a, I'm, I'll be four years out this summer, I think. I, this is how crazy my life has been. I don't even remember my goddamn surgery date or, or the year, but I think I figured it out. Anyways, I'll be four July years. 2019. Cause I'm August of 2019. That's all the only reason I remember it's ours are very close. So oh, yeah, July. thank you. Thank July, you. I think, yes. it's, I, I think it's July 19th. Of 2020. It's 25th. It was supposed to be the 19th. 25th, and okay. They got shifted right. to 25th. Mine's the 23rd. So we're literally almost a month, like just almost a month right there. So, oh, thank God. Okay. So we, we will be friends forever now if because of that reason alone, but I digress. Um, I feel like I'm having deja vu every day. I'm like, I have been here before. I have been here before. And at first it was panicking me because I was like, oh my God, I can't figure out how I know I've been here before. But part of my work with weight loss surgery is, is lowering my temperature and goes, it doesn't matter why you feel like you've been here before. You have, you have been here before. What do you think you used to do? That's my magic question. What do you think? I think I used to eat something or I think I used to drink something or I think I used to rage and push 
down this thing that I think is a feeling. And as soon as I go, okay, you think you did that? Don't do that. Don't do that. Do something else, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, I get so caught up with, I need to know exactly what this is or, you know, and that's, that's my, that's my truth, right? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to these decisions that I have to make, finally to, to give myself permission to go, you don't need to know that exactly. You can just say, this kind of looks familiar. And if that's familiar and that didn't work, don't do that. Try anything else. And now I give myself permission. If I try something else and you're like, oh, and for me, if I try this, don't, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try this. And if my reaction is, oh, wait a minute, this feels familiar. Okay. You also used to do that. Don't do that. All I'm doing is making this very clear list of used to do this. Cool. Okay. I don't want to do those because those didn't help me. I'm going to do these things. Well, there's Well, but there's also a bridge that can be offered because sometimes people aren't quite ready to do something different. It still feels too paralyzing and different things. Mm-hmm. And so I think of I've worked with a variety of bulimic clients over the years. And there's one in particular it was a teenager that I was working with and and she'd come into my office when I used to live in Thailand and 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 she said, Oh, Melanie, I'm, I'm not going to throw up today. And, you know, and she was in the realms of wishful thinking. She wasn't at a point that that was realistic. And I knew that, but, you know, she did not, you know, at that point, I think she was trying to, to sell me on. She hated getting on the scale. There were things that we had to do like for, for where I was at, that was required because she was at the point of almost needing to be hospitalized. So there are certain things you don't normally weigh. I don't weigh people when they come to my office by any stretch. Um, I don't have that many um, uh, eating disorder people I work with at the moment, but uh all, all that to say, as I said, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll make her name April for the ease of argument here, April, like that's that you're not ready to do that. And we, and we both know that I said, but would you do me one favor? Would you tell yourself the truth that I'm taking something emotional and I'm making it physical before you throw up? Cause already by just telling yourself the truth of like, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to eat my feelings right now. I don't feel hope that this relationship is going to get any better. I'm frustrated with the scale, not moving. I'm whatever. And this is the choice I'm making because again, I'll kind of just hammer that down. The more we believe we have choice, the more opportunities do we have to make choices that are aligned with the goals that we have in life, bariatric or otherwise. But if we don't start with truth, you know, even before you change the behavior, it, it doesn't last. You know, think of like how many restrictive diets out there. Think of the poultry sets and, you know, everybody can have their own opinions about it, but it's just another form of restriction, you know? And, and so I, I have a really strong stance against the things that just invite you back to diet culture of any kind, you know? And so I think that that, like, it doesn't last. You cannot live on that little calories. You, you know, yes, you're going to lose weight if you just drink protein shakes for two weeks or whatever it is that you want to do, but you can't sustain life that way. And, and I think that's, that's the place of we need things that give bridges and bridges to me are these places like just tell yourself the truth. Even if you still choose the behavior, will you start by naming what you did? And if you don't see it live, I always tell people, let the rear view mirror be your friend, then name it afterwards. Like, oh, that's what I did. And that's why I did it. Cause already that helps to begin to establish different neural pathways. You know, and that's where we're talking about the flags in the ground and the different things is we're trying to establish options. 
but you can't establish options if you don't tell yourself the truth. That is a lesson that uh, my therapist gave me and it is so true. And I didn't believe it at first. I fought and fought and fought against that lesson until he just said, just try it. Right. And then Wendy, the, the therapist that I've seen most recently, just try it one time. One time is not going to kill you. And, and it, yes, uh, even on the days that I cannot make a decision that is aligned to, to a goal or to something that I'm working on, I, I'm at least to the place now where I can say, this is truth. You are making this decision because you do not have the capacity to make any other one. And that's okay. I am truthfully out of capacity. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I can be truthful. What a gift to be truthful to ourselves. Yes. That's like the biggest hurdle I think for myself. And I know a lot of bariatric patients, but dang, once I got over that hurdle of just being like, what does it, well, because being honest in the past was a negative for me, it got me in trouble or it, you know, whatever. But to now say like, just tell the truth to yourself. I'm not going to hurt myself. Like now that I'm like, I've done some, some head work and some things. It's like, I would never hurt myself. So why would I, if I tell the truth to myself, I'm not going to hurt myself. Right. So getting over that hurdle specifically was the big turning point. And I know we mentioned, you know, can you trust yourself? Are you being honest with yourself? But that's what that means is like at the end of the day, I used to not be able to recap my day because I was just like literally lying to myself about every single day. To the point where I believed it. The three of us were just talking about this last night. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about this last night. We, we, yes, lying to ourselves keeps us stuck. Oh my God. Okay. So if we, <laughs> if we have to summarize this conversation, yeah, I don't, maybe we can't, maybe, maybe that, maybe that is a bridge too far. But I mean, when it comes to decisions, we, well, why, why do we make decisions that are not aligned to, to a goal in the moment? Is there a way to do that, Melanie? Can we do that? Can we summarize? Oh, you're muted. You all froze on me. So I didn't actually hear your question until I heard my name. All of a sudden I'm like. They're all gone. Like, what's happening here? So, feel free to ask again. I'll see if I can answer you. But I was like, I think the Comcast gods uh, decided to hit pause on me over here in Bainbridge Island. So, yeah, uh, they, they that 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 was that was serendipitous because that it, it was a big question, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to when it comes to making decisions, like why why is it difficult to make decisions that are aligned to something that we want in the moment? Is there one big, like, here's the reason, or is it multifaceted? Well, I think it's multifaceted. And I think, you know, there are things like, you know, like, uh, one, we're not telling the truth. Like, you know, again, like that space of living in reality, there's all that, you know, we can, we give too much power to our feelings. We're also trying to like, wait till motivation's going to show up. And, and I think there's, there's been enough 
language around like that's just myth you know like you have to be willing to do the action and then that motivates more action but if you if you're waiting for something to propel you your action needs to propel you not a feeling you know and and so i think there there's that and i also think that sometimes we don't have realistic expectations it's going to take you longer than you want and again that still kind of ties into that space of truth and and so I think we have to start, you know, with all of that. And I think you also have to be honest and ask yourself, you know, what am I willing to give up in each moment for something else? You know, you know, like there is a cost, you know, and which cost do I want to pay? Do I want to pay the, the, you know, delaying my, you know, dopamine hit from the cookie or the, the whatever, you know, towards this goal or whatever it is, like we have to be willing to, to assess the, that there, you have to give something up to get something else, you know, and, and you have to be honest about those, those realities. And, and sometimes we're that convenience culture. We want the quick fix. Now we want everything microwave, no defense to factor meals, but you know, that, that sense of like, you know, like, but that's what we're after, you know, it's like, you know, instead of like, this is a labor for life. And we also have to be honest and do the story work of things we've been talking about all night of there are associations that have led to an auto reply. And you've got to do that background work, you know, with, you know, you know, close trusted people, therapists, certainly the there's offers in very nation with emotional eating and, you know, all the various things that are, that are available to you working with dietitians, all that stuff, like it, that's why it's multifaceted. And we're always looking for the quick fix and I'll, I'll find my little pill. Um, and so I was telling these guys earlier that a lot, a lot of times my clients say, can't you just make me a pill, you know, that will go away. And I always tell them, well, I'm in, I'm working on it. And right now, everyone I've given it to, you know, they end up dying. So I like you too much. So you can't have the pill. Well, then my cousin actually found me the pill. And so for those of you that aren't watching this, it's 700 milligrams of a chill pill, you know, and it's this idea of like, You've got to be more gracious with yourself and, and slow down, you know, and be able to say like, this is the only pill that I think is going to help you in the end, which just says like, take a breath, you know, ground your body, you know, one decision, like, again, I'll keep picking on cookies. The, the one crumble cookie, cause I, first time I ever had one was at your house, never had one before. Um, and, uh, is that like, like one, one cookie is not, it's not going to make or break you what can make or break you is the meaning you place on it. You know, if you're in that sort of perfectionist place and then that thing then leads you to spiral more and more. Well, now that I've done this, now that I can do that, that side of it can do it, you know, or you don't actually, you're not honest with yourself about the, the, the cost benefit analysis and the ultimate payout. If I keep doing this, if I keep this association alive of when I'm sad, when I'm anxious, when I'm that I go find comfort in the realms of food and all that over a period of time, that's going, that's going to put you in a very different place, you know, and we were talking about this idea that, you know, like I grew up boating because I have a family member that lives on a yacht and, and coordinates matter. And you change the coordinates by one degree and where you end up a mile or two miles from now, you are so far off course, or in our case, I hope it's more in the realms of where you can see, like maybe hope is that you do these small degree of changes where when you ultimately dock your boat, whatever that means in your life, where you're going to be is going to be so far different than where you started. It's not magical pills. It's not, you know, these kinds of things. There's no quick fixes to this. It's more of, can I, you know, kind of put my seatbelt on? I'm, I'm going for, you know, a long journey here, but that doesn't mean that every step is hard. 
That doesn't mean that every, you know, moment is, is going to create suffering. It's just saying like, I'm not going to be perfect at it, you know, and I can't handle, I can't do everything at one time. And so if I focus on my water or I focus on this one thing, again, you're going to be building, you know, sort of like what James clear, the habit stacking, you know, you just keep building and you, you do these things. Those are the things where it ultimately is sustainable. If you're looking for the quick fix, you know, or the, you know, the pouchery set of, you know, metaphorically or literally, yeah, you'll have some temporary results or temporary hit of dopamine, whatever it is that you're looking for, but it, it is not sustainable for the long run. So I think any decisions that we need to work on making are ones that are, are they sustainable for the long run? And that's really how we end up achieving the things that we actually want to achieve is that we we do kind of put in this very heavy work of understanding our decisions and then making decisions that are more aligned than not in, in the very little things and in the very big things, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's, for me, it's also been important to not question why some days it's easier for me to make a decision that's aligned and other days it's not. It's just, oh, today's easier, okay. I'm just going to take that as a gift. And then tomorrow when it's not easier, I need to put the work in. But my, my, my hope, my faith, my belief is that if I just accept the easy days and, and, and add that easiness to a bank, I can, I can withdraw from it on the days that I need that extra energy for me to right to do that work. Yeah. Yeah. Melanie, are, are there, is there something you would like to leave our listeners, our friends or our watchers with when it comes to decisions? Is, is there, if, if there's like one thing that you hope that they take from this conversation about why decisions are hard or what we can do to, to help us make more decisions that are aligned to, to a goal, what, what, what would you wish for them to walk away with? Yeah, I, I think I'll, the ultimate practicality to me is, is growing your ability to tell the truth, you know, and cause as you tell your truth, you're going to have more awareness of your vulnerabilities, you know, and you're also then going to be able to create an environment that safeguards against some of those vulnerabilities, you know? So for the people that can't have snacks in their house, because that's too vulnerable that, you know, that about yourself, you can have that honesty or like, I made a decision that I don't do any drive-throughs of any kind you know, and I have it now for almost four years, you know, but that that's story bound, like for me is like that. And and I, and I don't, I don't want to bring that back. It's not punishing to me. Do I love French fries? Yes, I do. But I make myself go to a restaurant and hopefully with somebody sitting in front of me where I can enjoy them in a relational context, they're not meant to stuff a feeling or to push back. And so for me, that's what I needed to do was to say, Hey, not in a cruel way, like you will never be allowed, but more of saying, I think that would be a kindness for you to just kind of draw that line. And, and now, and now it's, there's, it's the muscle memories there. I just don't do it and I don't miss it. And so I think that sense of like, tell yourself the truth, you know, grow more awareness of your vulnerabilities and then build an environment, you know, around you that can help you be the most successful. And part of that environment is grow your community. And whether that be, you know, for people to join Barry Nation, do more in Barry Nation if you're already in there or any other format, that sense of like, you know, we cannot do this alone and you cannot do it all at once. And so just pick something, find some support around it and then keep going. Yeah, I think it's so scary for for people to to think about like 
joining a community, becoming a part of a community, having these conversations with somebody outside yourself, because you think that you will not be welcomed. You, you think that your story won't resonate with people, right? There's a lot of fear about like, well, if I say this part of me, people aren't going to like me. And the feedback that I've always gotten when I share something with, with a community within the Berry Nation community is the opposite of my fears. It's just simply a space for me to say what I want to say and for it to be acknowledged and held. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I made a post this week about, um, drive-throughs actually about how, um, you know, telling a non weight loss surgery patient about how much I would order and sit alone in my car and eat. And I would get horrified looks, right? Oh my gosh. So many people were like, Oh, I didn't know that I wasn't the only one who did that. And I'm like, Oh, there's thousands of us that, that did that before. Like, welcome, welcome to the community because we all did that. Right. You know, and that's comforting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it does, you, you are taking a risk. I think we all acknowledge that, that when we, when we share part of our story, we're taking a risk that somebody is not going to accept that story, right. Or that somebody's not going to hear it or that they're going to treat it in a way that, that we feel is harmful. And I'm not saying that, that it, it's going to happen at some point, but the, the whole point of, of trying is that you can find a space where all of you is allowed to show up and where all of you is, is is just welcome. Like you're not going to get kicked out because of you eating too much food, quote unquote, in a drive-thru. Like nobody cares. Like we care, but we don't like, Oh, thank you for sharing that part of your, your life with us. And that's it. There's no judgment. There's no shame. It's just like, because I think we, we have come to, like for me, it's like, oh, this is the promise line. Sharing my thoughts, sharing my feelings is the promise. Line. Like, this is what I was looking for. This is the the help and the support that I needed to, to find success along my journey. And for so many years, I was scared of that and it kept me back. And now that I know that, that what I thought was not true, uh, right. it's been freeing, right? My, my thoughts are not true all the time. Right. Shocking. I know April shocking, but. Well, but that's that place of like, you know, when we use only the past as a predictor of how things are going to go out, like we, we, we limit ourselves. And so I lovingly bullied a friend of mine to join Barry nation and, and then made her come to, you know, support group last night and I'll, I'll give her anonymous for the moment. But, but then I called her afterwards, you know, and I said, how to go. You know, and I, you know, I wanted her to see my face in there, but I also wanted her to get some care because I know she's just kind of in, in a space where she just needs, she needs more voices in her life. And, and it was meaningful for her. And so I think sometimes like, that's what it looks like is like, you know, we can show up for each other and showing up for each other is calling out that, you know, you're struggling and, and, you, you know, you have need and having need is normal. It's human. And let's see if we can get some of those needs met, you know, and you have access to, to more care like that's how we could show up for each other. It's not about, well, how many calories did you eat? You know, like I, I, you know, and then all the, well, I can't eat that much and I'm further out than you and all the stuff that we can do that's super harmful, you know? And, and so instead of being able to say like, no, you, you need help. And, and I want to help you find help. And that's how we can come alongside each other is to say a community, you know, is, is, is where so much of that healing happens because it goes back to what we kind of started off earlier on, is food replaced relationship. 
So we need to begin to replace food with a relationship, <laughs> you know? And so you get to bring that back into calibration, you know, that sense of like, and again, not that you're not supposed to eat at all, but you understand what I mean is like where that association that you initially should have had in relationship, it, it got thwarted, food became its replacement. Now we need to thwart the food as a replacement and bring it back into alignment where you have those needs met in relationship. And I thought forever that relationship was not necessary in my life. Could not have been further from the truth. And, and if you are like me and you're, and you think, right, you, you, you have that thought like me, like no, relate, that's not what I need. It is. I promise you, my friend, it is. And that is just a truth that I have had to come to accept. And thank God, I think all of us, right, have accepted that. Even and, I, and I really turtle shell has, you know, so, you know. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, I, not, I know you want to say something, but I just wrote this down. Showing up for someone is listening. Mm -hmm. If you listen to somebody else's story, if you listen to their experience, that is showing up. You don't need to do anything else but listen. Yeah, I just wanted to say like a realization I had this last year is that we are not, we as in like humans are not meant to be alone. We are not meant to live our lives alone. The term it takes a village is there is a term for a reason. And we spent our whole lives before surgery living alone and that did not work and now we need our community we need our village in order to live again and that that when I made that realization that's when the pieces started falling together we've been saying it a lot so far this year and I have a feeling we'll be saying it for the rest of our lives if we want to live a different life we have to live a different life and if we lived in isolation before, it's not going to work for us now. Obesity is already an isolating disease. But the, the best treatment for that is community. It truly is. Oh my gosh, friends. Well, I've been thoroughly broken along many parts of this conversation, as I think we all have. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We know we know this was a big conversation. We know that a lot of more times than not, we we take on some very heavy conversations, and that people leave our podcast or leave experiences with us, really understanding that there's a lot of breadth and depth and and weight to what we talk about. And sometimes I feel a little bit bad about that because this life is fun and it's filled with joy and it's filled with hope and it's filled with smiles and laughter and silliness and all that kind of stuff. But we can't have the silliness. We can't have the, the light without the heavy. And these conversations are critically important to our long-term lifelong success. So thank you for being willing to have these heavy conversations with us. You're welcome. It's truly a privilege. My friend, where can they follow you? Where can they find you? In my turtle shell, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not welcome to the turtle shell. That's only my spot. So, um, you know, my Instagram is my ruin. Why, uh, you know, I my my counseling webpage is for clients, but um, that's lindellcounseling.com. But 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that when we allow ourselves to, you know, kind of follow each other on Instagram, do things, you can hear, you know, different things. Like I'm currently writing some stuff on hope, you know, and, and sometimes that can be really meaningful for people to like, choose to like take in the stories of other people, but then also interact and be able to share those things. Because I think that's where it leads to, um, being known and we're all meant to be known. And, and so if you're not following me, you're welcome to the only way. I only pick weight loss accounts and they have to sort of be clearly identified. So I've probably kicked out. I don't even know how many people, if it doesn't clearly state that just because I don't want any trolls in my, my page. Cause I keep it private on purpose because as a therapist, there are aspects of my life that I, that I want to keep private from my clients themselves. And so that would be, you'd have to request. And, you know, if you clearly identify yourself as, you know, a weight loss surgery patient, then you're, you're more than welcome to follow me. And I, I will just do uh, a shameless plug. Melanie is joining us as an expert in Berry Nation. So if you would like more time to interact with her in a little bit of a more private uh, community environment, we invite you to become a member of, of Berry Nation. She's going to be leading some very important, very needed uh, supports uh, in the near future. And we are thrilled to, to have her as a resource, um, in, in all of the places that Berry Nation, uh, exists. So thank you. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, my friend, you want to take us out? Yes, ma'am. Uh, Melody's like April said, thank you so much. Your, your, your knowledge, your wisdom, your time, all just uh, invaluable. So we appreciate you very much. Um, for the community, we appreciate you guys for liking, the sharing, the subscribes, the follows, the telling people that we exist so that other people can get the assistance that they so desperately need. And all of the help that you guys have given us is, is tenfold what we could ever do for you guys. And we just appreciate, appreciate you from the bottom of our hearts. And at the end of the day, just remember, you've got this, we've got you, and we'll see you next time. Bye, friends. Thank you. Bye, bye everybody.